you're listening to episode two. Hello and welcome to What Leaders Know. It's the podcast for people on leadership journeys. I'm your host, Penny Beeston. I help people take their leadership to the next level. You can learn more at whatleadersknow.com. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. My guest today is Emma Thomas, and Emma is a leader with a surprising background. Before I introduce Emma Thomas, I'm sharing a news update. When I interviewed Emma recently for this episode of What Leaders Know, she was a partner with PwC in infrastructure and urban renewal. However, earlier this month, Emma was appointed to the role of Chief Executive Officer with the Sunshine Coast City Council in Queensland. Now for the rest of my introduction. Emma is an aeronautical engineer whose career began in the Royal Australian Air Force and then expanded across all forms of transport, including planes, trains and automobiles. Emma recently joined PwC as a partner in infrastructure and urban renewal. In the lead-up to this career shift, she successfully delivered the first stage of light rail in Canberra. And to round it all off, Emma has extensive experience with leadership roles in government in the Australian Capital Territory, South Australia and Queensland. As you listen to the podcast today, you will gain insights into a leader who is passionate about leadership and how it inspires thriving cities and towns. Emma's commitment is to inclusive leadership that brings diverse people and systems together to create great places to live, work and play. Welcome, Emma Thomas. Thank you, Penny. Thanks for having me. Emma, I usually begin the podcast by asking my guests the question, why does leadership matter? Today, the world is in the grip of COVID-19 and we face an uncertain future. In this context, can you share with us why you believe leadership matters? It's a really um, important question for our times right now, Penny. Um, As human beings in every endeavour that we do, our ability to come together and and face whatever we're facing, whether it be uh, things at work, things in our community, to really huge pandemics that are that we're facing today. Our ability to to bring ourselves together as a team and to really target our best of ourselves to to fighting that as a team, I think, is uh, more important than ever. So it's not just about being the best we can be, it's about being able to lead our teams in ways that they are going to be the best they can be. How do we engender that desire in a team? It's a really good question as well for these times. I mean, understanding ourselves as leaders and and what drives us, what makes us respond and react to certain things is just as important as how we can bring a sense of calm and focus and vision to our teams and purpose. I think the first part to that question is we do need to have a, a degree of insight into our own emotions and, and what effects they might have on people but also then having um, really close care and understanding to our own people and our teams to make sure that that we're responding as they need us to um, in these sort of events. Following on from that, I guess there's the challenge for leaders who may previously not have led teams who are distanced. Perhaps very few people have led teams who are actually working from home. How does that complexity play out for a leader? Well, I've always been a big believer in uh, one of the key elements of, or characteristics of a leader is creativity. And we, we sort of express our creativity in, in many different ways, but 
Never has there been a better time for us to be creative with our leadership practice. I think whether you've been an experienced leader or whether you're just trying it for the first time, what's absolutely delightful to uh, to watch and, and learn from is just the different things that people are trying with their teams. We've got an environment now where lots of information is shared a lot more than, than we used to have probably 20 or 30 years ago when we were first uh, leading teams. So now you can see what people are doing and, and try things, just give things a go and and make sure that you know we're connected with our teams in, in some way or another. And it always helps if you've had the opportunity to work together and get to know each other a little bit before you're in these more remote situations. But I've seen lots of people trying different ways of getting to know people. And and one of the things I heard the other day from my team was that they felt they were getting to know their teammates even better in this time because all of a sudden you get a little bit of insight into people's homes and, you know, people are showing their dogs and their babies <laughs> on video conferences and and you can see what's up behind people in terms of art and other things. And, you know, that, that really helps to gel a team to have that sort of knowledge of a person beyond what you just see as their work face every day. And the other part of it is that, you know, people are caring for one another, I think, in a different way. And, um, whilst you would always hope that a workplace has great care, I think the um, personal toll that this may be playing on people's minds through anxiety, through worrying about older parents or older neighbours or just, you know, how their kid's going to finish school, there's there's a whole bunch of different anxieties being placed on us as a community right now. And um, One of the things that distresses me is just seeing the enormous number of people that are you know, no longer have employment, all those small businesses where people have been pouring their hearts and souls into them all and to only to have the you know this happen where there really is is no response. And I think the care and the empathy in our community is is going up in in a rate of knots, and that's that can only be positive for us. Yes, let's hope we emerge from this as a more connected society. Emma, I want to take you back to your early beginnings. You chose a less worn career path for females. Can you share some of the early influences that saw you become a pilot and aeronautical engineer with the Royal Australian Air Force? I remember as a, a young child being very entertained with my dad. We used to watch all of the space shuttle launches and it was such an exciting thing. They were all on TV. Every single launch used to be televised and it was such a thing that captured your imagination and I would always put it out there at school that loving physics and chemistry and maths um, that I wanted to be involved in how we could you know, send rockets to the moon. <laughs> so... That's kind of what started me in, in this. I really had no concept that women didn't do those things. It wasn't ever mentioned to me that that's what women didn't do. No one had sort of put anything in my way that had um, indicated that. And so as I moved into engineering in Western Australia at the time. It wasn't until I got into my first year, first class, where there were, I think, something like 200 people and maybe six or seven women <laughs> that I suddenly went, oh, this is unusual. You know, it was a really 
uh, interesting time. And because I was so passionate about doing aeronautical engineering, I, I always say everyone needs a great supporter in their lives that will help them sort of work out these pathways. And mine at the time was my mum, who is fearless and uh, really sat down and, and worked with me on where I could study aeronautical engineering. And we found that we could only do it at two places in the whole of Australia at the time. And so as I was nearing the end of my second year, I'd put in applications to um, Sydney University and was accepted into third year aeronautical engineering. So it was a great big adventure, but really, you know, wouldn't have been there without my mum, you know, doing, helping me to do that diligent research and, and really convincing me that it was something that I could do. It sounds like your parents recognised you were a STEM girl decades before we even knew the term. That's probably true. You know, when I was in my early days of university, I decided I was going to learn to fly and mum was pretty nervous about this. But uh, to their credit, I earned all my money on the weekends were doing my my out of uni work and then I would go straight to the aerodrome and, and learn to fly. And so there was no one really actively discouraging this from me. It was all just an exciting and fantastic time of life. But it took me a while to realise that it was not normal. That wasn't until I really started work and you realised that people really saw you as as a rare resource being a female in, in that world. And at the time, as I was finishing aeronautical engineering, there was a really large pilot strike going on in Australia. It had a really significant impact on the aviation industry at the time. I was really determined to work with aviation because I'd done so much to to get into the study in the first place that I took myself down to Air Force recruiting and knocked on their door and said, I'd like to join the Air Force, please. And uh, I didn't really know much about it uh, at the time, but I, I was so, I'm so grateful for that decision. The Air Force did decide to take me in and uh, I spent my last year being supported by Air Force in my last year of study and then had the great fortune of, of going up to Tyndall in the Northern Territory to work on F-18s as my first job and it was just a dream come true. But the really great benefit of military training early on is that you are put in a position of leadership very, very early in your career and you know, the ability to make mistakes in a supported environment and understand what leadership is all about and be trained very, very strongly in the art of leadership um, is one of the great benefits of the military and the, the way that they uh, do their training. This is a common thread I hear from leaders who have had backgrounds in, in the military. I love that crow in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That's I control okay. the wildlife. <laughs> So what would be one takeaway that you would leave from this part of your career, that early part and taking risks and believing in yourself? I think it's um, trying to find the opportunities to practice leadership. Um, that always doesn't have to come with a role. It can come in, a, in your community or wherever, but the earlier you start doing it, the more you learn. And leadership is a lifelong lesson of learning. The sooner you can really expose yourself to that and challenge yourself and um, build up your courage and um, your confidence in working with different people, then the sooner you can use those skills wherever, in whatever situation you're faced with. Lisa, you've been speaking recently about the importance of inclusive leadership. I wonder if you can speak a bit more about that and how it influences your own leadership. And what do you see as the challenges of not taking an inclusive approach to leadership? 
I don't know where this really started for me and I can't say that I was always aware or passionate about it but I guess you know being a woman uh, in in the engineering world there was always a bit of a you know a lot of questions asked of me of whether I felt included and what made me you know able to get through that system as I sort of broadened I, I came to look at the fact that we had so many different types of people in the workforce and uh, even today what frustrates me is we keep giving labels to all of these different types of people whether they're introverts extroverts women men people with disability or or people who have an immigrant background or we've just got all these different labels and I think when we label something, our brains automatically then bring up all our own frames of what that label is. And whether we're, you know, to be conscious of it is really important, um, the fact that we've got these frames that exist at the moment. But I actually think these labels are not helpful. I, I think more and more we need to understand that the mix of all those different types of people bring something to a role and something to a team and being able to get them to perform at their best at a team level is is sort of what we want to talk about with diversity. But people need to feel included to really bring that out of themselves. And whilst you're labelling them or um, thinking about all the reasons why someone with a specific label can't do a specific role, then you're not able to get the, the best out of a team to, to perform. Yes, labels can either drive policy change to improve outcomes for a marginalised group or they can be used to identify people as other. It's a complex issue. It is. And, I, you know, I think challenging ourselves to be much more diverse at, at the sort of aggregate level because, you know, we, if we don't start setting some metrics around these things, then we, we kind of don't have an have a reason to change. We don't create that burning platform to, to change mm. the way that we, we do things. So I think our consciousness and our ability to um, think about people in what they really bring. And, you know, now organisations much more focused on um, values and purpose and really having people with appropriate attitudes and behaviours to those values and purpose are uh, are our core, you know, that's just utopia. If you can really understanding how they fit with values and behaviours, because that is that is absolutely core and fundamental. Um, I was thinking about a team that I had uh, when I was working down in Canberra with the ACT government, and this team was so incredible in their diversity. I've, I really haven't seen a team that was as diverse. And they all got about their work and performed to incredible level in a very humble way. And when I watched their leader interacting with them, he was so empathetic to each person and behaved in a slightly different way with each of them. There was no doubt in my mind that everyone in that team felt like they belonged there. And that was the core of why they were doing so well and why they were performing so well. And they had applied for a Director General's Award at the time and they won it. They were fantastic. But they went on to win the whole of the ACT Government Award and it really prompted me to think about how we bring teams together and just how do you um, act and behave as a leader to get people to feel like they, they're part of something. Just now you mentioned how critical it is that people leading others are able to act and behave like a leader. What is a trait that you see as essential to this capacity to lead, Emma? 
I think, you know, underpinning all of that is trust, trust in yourself and trust in others and understanding as a leader that being vulnerable is something that people do want to see and are okay with seeing it. Um, They don't want you to be vulnerable to the point where it, you know, creates panic and the world is like, ah. (laughs) But uh, if you look at people like Jacinda Ardern at the moment, you know, she comes across as a vulnerable person and uh, that. I think in turn means that people know that she's human and then when she reacts to a situation with a certain degree of empathy, they, they trust that that is what they're seeing. So um, you know, how do you bring that down to a team level? And You can't build trust overnight and you can certainly damage trust really quickly. That ability to be a bit vulnerable and to let people know that you don't have all the answers and that you, you need help at some stage or another is still something that I think we have to learn because we get put in those positions that also have responsibility and accountability with them. And, you know, those are the the forces that play against that where people feel like they do need to demonstrate that they've got it all under control. There's a balance between the two for sure. And also feel like you don't have to have all the answers to everything. You know, I think in my earlier years that I've made lots of mistakes in leadership because I thought that I did need to have that sense of, you know, I've got this and it's all under control and everything's fine. But, you know, they were probably the moments where <laughs> it had the most uh, impact in, a, in the wrong way, um, where you when you start to realise that people do need a sense of direction. They need a sense of, you know, I think every team needs to know what their purpose is in relation to the bigger piece of what they're working in. And most of us have a bigger piece of what we're working in. So um, being able to give context and information and communication and listening to others, you know, just to try and pull all that picture together um, are things that, that, you know, we have to learn and have to be a bit more comfortable in ourselves to to really um, understand it. In terms of takeaways from this part of our conversation, Emma, what three inclusive leadership behaviours would you suggest people on leadership journeys focus on? I would say defining values and purpose is really important and measuring people against those values with behaviours and attitude is probably what, what we should be looking at doing. Not judging people straight away on what what they might be producing or doing um, if as long as the values and behaviors are okay then um, really withholding judgment and exploring how the person fits into a team environment is really important um, and the final thing is to have a really strong as much as you can a strong um, conscious awareness of the frames that you're placing on people so you know trying to think about how people can do work and and what they can do as a team together being aware of where your own mindset so your frame of reference is actually making judgment or decisions for people that you haven't actually may actually not be true and that you may need to test that or question it in yourself because it might just be the way that your brain has been wired and educated and the way that you've learned uh, in the workplaces that you've been in. Yes, and that's an ongoing learning curve for anyone in leadership. What I'd like to do now is to round out our conversation and discuss your experience of leadership in the public service. 
you've exercised executive leadership roles across three state and territory governments in Australia. I'm interested in your insights into leading in this sector. I will say that I'm humbled by the public service across Australia. We are so lucky uh, to have the quality and calibre of public servants that we have across the board. And I know people from who may not have experienced that may, may not understand what that means, but certainly in, in this very moment today, through the response that we're doing through, through this um, terrible time with COVID-19, um, I have no doubt that the public servants of the country are banding together, are working incredible hours Um, are thinking about all of the different policy settings and government ability to to bring to bear to to make this, uh, to help us get through it. And uh, having been through um, things like the floods in Queensland in 2011, you see the very best of people as they pull together and and their deep experience, their love for place. Um, most public servants have a really deep connection with the place that they're they're supporting, um, be it their local city or their state or their government. Um, that real innate will to help people and to to serve the community just comes to the fore in, in times like this. And um, you know, I'm very thankful that we have the the great public servants that we have across Australia right now. So, Emma, from your very unique position of having worked in two of the states and one of our territories, how have you observed the evolution of public service in Australia over your career? I think we've had a real rejuvenation over the last, well, sort of, it's been going for a while about public servants really focusing on the community and citizen outcomes as well. And that makes a really big change to what might have been pegged as bureaucratic experiences. Um, I think that's shifting a lot. We have good data. The public service is using data a lot more to, to provide really good outcomes that are, that are fact-based for the community. And um, I just, you know, as I said, really, very thankful that we have the, the calibre of public servants that we have in Australia. We're very fortunate. So, Emma, how does all of that experience, how does it translate into your work as a partner with PwC? It's a good question. I feel like I do have diverse experience, and I think when you're looking at um, the, you know, the role of a consultant, which is really to help and provide support where where people need it, being able to use and turn those variety of different experiences into something that might help other people is is where I feel that I can have a role to play within PwC. I'm also really very strongly have beliefs around, and you you said this at the beginning, but around creating places that we all can thrive within. And uh, one of the things that I think, you know, when we're building built form, um, there's a lot more awareness now to Uh, creating different types of amenity and roads and pathways that can be accessed by everybody. And that creates inclusion in cities. So when I was talking about inclusion in teams earlier, inclusion in cities is such an important concept. While we feel isolated and, you know, now is the perfect time to reflect on what isolation might feel like for someone, but there are people who go through our cities who just have no ability to connect with the amenity that we provide in for whatever reason. And um, our acknowledgement and awareness of that will only serve to make 
people feel more included and um, hopefully have a better community as a result of that. Emma, that lands us in a good place for me to thank you for your generous sharing of your leadership journey. You encourage listeners to pursue their dreams and to treat the leadership journey as one of lifelong learning. Thank you so much for your insights today, Emma. And a big thank you to listeners for tuning into this episode of What Leaders Know. For show notes from this episode, or if you're looking to take your career to the next level, head over to my website, whatleadersknow.com. I look forward to your company next week, where we'll gain more insights into what leaders know. Until then, stay safe. I'm Penny Beeston, and this has been What Leaders Know. What Leaders Know.